Thank you all. I just want to say a, a word uh, of appreciation to oh, Leslie first. Leslie and all of her skilled team of workers and Matt and the whole church staff worked hard all week on VBS. And I, from what I hear and what I understand and the subject matter they covered and all that stuff, it was probably the best one we've ever had. It was just uh, really, really good. <clears throat> and it continues our commitment to children, and that's been a part of our heart and vision from the very beginning of the church, that we would raise up generations of people who understand at some level the great gospel of grace, and uh, they do, <laughs> they do, they get it. And I appreciate that very much. Okay, uh, <clears throat> today, it's somewhat of a follow-up from last week and the other week, whenever that was back there when I spoke. Uh, but I want to show you, just today, I want to kind of show you how I do this. How I read scripture and see stuff. Okay? Um, if you'll remember, in John 16, I want to read that to you again, just a rehearsal a little bit. But it's such a powerful passage of Scripture, and it's easy to pass over and not understand or not, not get, not try to understand. In John 16, Jesus said, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled you, your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I, do, if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this next passage of scripture, these other things make that clear. Okay, but Verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why couldn't they bear them now? The Spirit hadn't been released in the earth, Pentecost. This is prior to Pentecost. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Sounds like a, a great promise there, doesn't it? That there's a spirit coming who's going to be a spirit of truth. He's going to be our helper. When the helper comes, everything is going to change. That's what he's saying. Now back in chapter uh, 14, uh, where is it? Okay, verse 26 says, These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Incredible promises about the Holy Spirit and his activity and ministry in our lives. Now, as I said, let me just repeat this real quickly. It's not that there's not been teaching about the Holy Spirit in years past, but... It, it, really, for Pentecostals, it's about the gifts. Uh, for Baptists, most evangelicals, it would be more for the power to do something or the, the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. 
would, might be emphasized where you're told that because the fruit of the Spirit you're going to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, so forth. Uh, and I, I'm not against any of that. Matter of fact, I, you know, try, understand it. That's, that's great. I don't, I don't remember ever hearing anybody talking about the Holy Spirit as our teacher and, and pressing into it and trying to find out what that really means. Never heard anything like that before. Except little mentions maybe, but. So the spiritual role in teaching us is very important. The early Christians, that's all they had, folks. <laughs> that's all they had. Most of them, I'd say most, the majority at least, of people in the first century were illiterate. Most, not all, but most were. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. Most of them, the, the Jewish people in the first century are all coming from the Jewish end of things. It's all they had ever known. It's been pounded and pounded and pounded into their heads from the moment they're born. And then the Gentiles, which weren't under the law and never have been and never will be. They, could, they come from all sorts of situations, folks. I mean, there was all kinds of religious stuff. Uh, you know, you can call it heathenish if you want to. I mean, all kinds of stuff that people believed in the gods they worshipped and all sorts of religious stuff. And one of the reasons everybody was kind of religious is because times are so hard. This was a hard, hard time to live, folks. Hard time. They were under oppression by, well, the Romans probably were one of the best oppressive governments that they'd ever been under, you know. Egypt wasn't very good. They were enslaved in Egypt, you know. Uh, I mean, human life had not nearly as much value as we would place on it today. At the average lifespan was probably less than 50 years. A lot of them were hungry. You know, just eating and shelter and food and all of that kind of stuff and the whole hierarchy of things as they existed in that time was very, very difficult to navigate. They didn't have anything else. So they got by on stories, even the letters in the first century. A lot of the letters hadn't been written in early first century, nor published, nor sent. So they had to have the Holy Spirit to guide them and to encourage, mutually encourage one another. And their sole focus was Jesus and the stories about Jesus. And what he did. And they could remember, some of them could pass along and remember some of what he said. What he taught about. It was hard. It's difficult for them. But it's also simple. They didn't get too bogged down or complicated in all the ways to act. And the ways to, you know, perform and do things. And their focus wasn't there. Their focus was on him and the joy it brought being together and discussing a new way of living. It was a difficult time. So what I'm saying to you is the Holy Spirit is no less valuable or needed in our lives as, than he was in their lives. So let's, 
let's look at a couple of things. Ephesians 5. Okay. Paul, in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, for the first three and a half chapters of Ephesians, it is absolute glorious good news. I mean, you can read that over and over and over, and there's going to be something new jump out at you every time you read it. I love reading it. I love teaching on it. I, I, love, I love Galatians the same way. And it's in the, essentially the same. About first four chapters, last two chapters, first glorious good news, then there's good advice. And there's some good news in that good advice, but it changes the way you deal with the good advice if you will listen to the good news. It makes a difference in how you respond and how you see things. How you react to something that's just said for you to do, or a way to be, a way to act even. It makes a difference in how you respond to that challenge if you get the good news. Matter of fact, the good advice becomes good news too to us in a lot of ways then. That's what he does here. Glorious, glorious good news. But then in chapter, most of chapter 4, not, not all of it certainly, but, and then 5 and 6, a lot of good advice there. In one place in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, for instance, do not get drunk or stay drunk with wine, but stay filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's just read all that it says there in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father, and so forth and so on. Okay. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's hard. I don't think it's hard to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not hard. It's not complicated either. It seems to be, but it's not. That's why he doesn't explain really a whole lot about how to do this. Just be filled with the Spirit. Other people make it hard to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Here's the Baptist version of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, so, so you can do whatever it is the Holy Spirit does. They don't have a clear understanding of what he really wants to do. But here's how you're, you, 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 you got to come to God. And first of all, you must confess and repent of all your sins up to date. You've got to empty yourself. You've got to die to self. You've got to make sure you're clean on the inside because the Holy Spirit won't fill a dirty vessel. He just, you have to, so, and, and remember now, you better be thorough on this because he is one kind of strange person. I mean, he's, he's very, um, he's like a, a bird, very, you know, skittish and, you know, you do anything and he's gone. He takes off, but you think a good thought and he's there. And, you know, he's, he, he's all over and very easily offended and all of this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> whatever your version of hell is, I'm in it, in that. <laughs> uh, 
No thank you. That's not what he means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This word be filled is a present passive plural imperative. Present passive plural imperative. Present tense meaning in the Greek it's continuous action. Aorist would be an action that comes to an end in the aorist tense. Continuous action. So continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit as you walk through life. As you live your life. Present tense. Passive voice. That means that I don't do it. He does it. It's done to me. All I can do is receive what's being done to me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. I receive your fullness. Matter of fact, you already have it. Now receive it. He's, he's your body, even physical body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, just described that way. So it's not hard. You rest in the fullness of the Spirit. And it's as simple to me as letting my mind go there when I connect. It's connecting, talking to Him, asking questions. You have one living within you that knows everything that God knows. Who knows the mind of the Lord except the mind of the Spirit? Spirit knows everything that God knows. He searches everything that God knows. You have one living within you who is committed to be your teacher and to leading you all the truth. Why don't you ask him some questions? I don't, I'm not scolding you. I'm just saying don't let it get too complicated for you. So, it's passive voice done to me. And then it's plural. means all of you. If you're a Yankee, all of you. All of you. All y'all. Every one of you. You know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, in the next part of the verse, he's, he simply says, this will cause something to happen within you. There will be, at some point in time, according to the leadership of the Spirit and as the fullness of the Spirit manifests in you, you'll want to do some things. You'll want to do. You'll want to get together every once in a while, and you'll want to sing together. You'll, you'll want to encourage one another in your, in your worship songs. Make merry in doing this. This is, a, this is a good thing. Let some joy erupt within you as you worship. That's why it's important that we do this. Not, not important that I stand or any of us stand in front of you. It feels weird sometimes. But it's, it, it, it's being together. Being together. L- listen to this paraphrase of verse 19. Speak psalms to one another. Burst out in spontaneous celebration songs. In your heart, do not let the music stop. Continue to touch the Lord with whispers of worship. The Spirit draws your attention, your heart, to the Father, to Christ, and all that they've done for us and with us. Now in verse 20, it says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks for all things Now, let me give you a proper translation of that verse. It is not 
Give thanks for all things, as the New American Standards translates it. You don't give thanks for all things. The word translated for all things is the word hooper or hooper. Hooper. Hooper means above or in spite of all things. So it's a translation. One little word changes the direction of that verse. It's not for all things. You don't have to be rejoicing for the difficulties, whatever they are, the circumstances. You don't have to. Don't. I'm not going to thank him for bad stuff. But I will thank him in spite of it. And if I'm filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, I will have the capacity to do that if I tap into it. It gives me a longer view of things, a more eternal view of things, and allows all of us to be able to give thanks in spite of anything that's over me. Circumstances don't have to be over me. I can give thanks. So it changes the tone. Now Paul immediately goes from there into some good advice. And so you got a guy who's never been married (laughs) giving us good advice about marriage. Look at it in this context. And the good advice he gives on marriage, for example... is also a picture of Christ and his relationship with the church. So there's two things going on here in this this good advice. These words come in the midst of a culture across the world, really. A world culture that was horrendously misogynistic. Women were nothing. They were essentially with exceptions, pretty much like a servant or a slave. You could do just about anything you wanted to with a wife. If you didn't like her, you could kill her. Marriage is, in, the, in that culture, Paul is raising, elevating women. You have to see it like that. He is. Matter of fact, it's been said many times, and I agree with it, that, that Jesus and the Apostle Paul elevated women's status in the world more than any other single two human being or two people that live. Christianity has done that in a lot of ways. But it's also been very negative in a lot of ways. You understand that? And the reason it gets like that is because they'll nitpick, they'll cherry pick verses out of context and put together a theology on marriage or anything else you want to mention. Therefore, the rest of this, when it talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, women be in submission or subjecting to your husbands and so forth like that, that's a really, really wonderful, great, exciting word to the women of that culture. And everything works out fine. Don't make it too complicated, see? It's, it's uh, husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Gave himself up for her. That's about all you've got to do. If you will love your wife and give yourself up for her, all the rest of it is going to take care of itself. And see that she honors her husband, which, of course, 
It's not, a, it's not a submission thing. It's a mutual submission to Him and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. I, I mean, this, this religious stuff gets so insane. It gets not, so nonsensical in a hurry, folks, on every subject it touches, like marriage. The Baptist, for example. Should never be a woman teacher, no woman pastors, no, none of the, it's always got to be men. I mean, it's, it's against God's law for a woman to stand in front of men and teach. Now, where did you particularly get that? You cherry-picked some verses out of context and strung together you, a theology that you really like because you don't like women. <laughs> Can't receive from them. If you don't believe that, the Southern Baptist Convention just recently kicked Rick Warren in Saddleback Church in California, one of the biggest uh, Southern Baptist churches in history, and one of the most effective Southern Baptist churches in history, just kicked them out of the Southern Baptist Convention because Rick Warren was so, uh, what, evil that he had two women pastors on his staff out of about 200 people. God! And Rick just says, sayonara, God bless you. I said, Rick, I don't know how you stayed in there as long as you did. I got kicked out in two years. <laughs> I was thinking, if I wasn't doing something to get me kicked out of there, I'm not doing much. That's what I would think. It, it's, it, that's how weirdness comes about, folks. And the Spirit of God will help you not to follow one of those trails where you'll find life and liberty and joy and peace and excitement in your spirit about what God's doing and who He is and all this stuff. It's a radical transformation for us to turn our backs on that sort of thing and open our lives to the liberty of the Spirit. So don't you hesitate. If something seems wrong to you, the Holy Spirit will nudge you in the right direction. He's not going to, listen, again, God's not going to be mad at you for being wrong. So try to find out some stuff right. Even if you take us two steps forward and one step back, that's okay. You're making progress. You're moving forward. And the Spirit's feeding you, and it feels that way. And I'm growing, and I'm learning, and I'm closer to God than I've ever been. And I feel an intimacy with Him, and I feel more comfortable about the future. I feel more confidence with Him in the future, and so forth and so on. And that's what we're after. Until you yourself become a, a, a light shining in the darkness to those around you, not just because of your words, but because of who you are. Amen. Who you are. Bad theology is bad, bad, bad. It's bad. Now, Obviously, there's a whole lot of people who call me a heretic. I'm the worst of the worst as far as a teacher goes. And I, I, there's a big, pretty big company of us who are the worst of the worst. Because we would dare <laughs> tell you you can be free. Okay. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. can't necessarily tell you how. I just, when you connect, it's, it, he's there. You are full. 
It's there. Let it let the fullness go. Release. Let it release. Don't be afraid of stuff. Don't be fearful. He's guiding you. He's guiding you. Your journey may not be like mine. You may end up over here and you think, hmm, well, I don't know. You're full of joy. You could be right. I don't, I don't really, I don't want to get tangled up in us having any sort of disagreement about some scripture. I just want us to love each other and be filled with the joy of God. You know, my opinion is anybody that does disagree with me is probably wrong. I don't know. It may not be. <laughs> I, I, you know I'm kidding when I say that. Really? I, I feel the opposite of that, honestly. Okay. We got, we got a little time. Okay. Let me show you how I do this. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> Really, all I'm going to do is read some verses and let's see what happens. Okay? And when Paul, again, when Paul wrote Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, oh, I love all those books. I love most of Romans, most of Hebrews. Anyway, all of them, all of them. There's two, think about this, there's two major cataclysmic, life-changing, life-altering forever events that took place in the Apostle Paul's life. You know the first one, on the road to Damascus, right? Where, I don't know if it was really personification of Jesus, it may have been an angel, I don't know, but this light, God knocked him off of his mount, his horse. It was so powerful. He was blinded for, what, three days. Uh, and he was utterly, absolutely rocked to his foundation and came out of that experience an absolutely, totally new man. He said, as... He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Meaning, you got your best Pharisee, I go beyond him. As to the law, blameless, which isn't true, but he's, he did everything. He, as well as anybody has ever done it, he did it to the point where he was persecuting. I don't know who gave him the orders or the liberty to do this, but somebody must have, or he took it on in the own, I don't know. Persecuting and really killing Christians, being in the crowd watching as Stephen was stoned to death. All that kind of stuff. This was a... He was a guy not to be messed with. So it was a cataclysmic event in his life. The second cataclysmic event was when the, the spirit, he says, took him. Well, he uses a, he talks in third person, like, I know a guy, you know, <laughs> I know a guy. Well, you know, he's talking about himself. Whether it was in the spirit or in the natural, whether it happened there or here, I don't know. I, I don't, don't even know. But he saw things that were so glorious that he couldn't talk about it. And he heard things that he couldn't say. 
And for three years, he pondered this in the desert, really, alone, by and large. When he came out of that, he wrote this. He wrote this. You remember Jesus said, I have some things to say to you, but you're not able to bear it yet. I think that's the way Paul thought. It took him a long time to work his way through this, folks. To begin to see he is the first human being ever born to see this stuff and to say it and to talk about it. And he did it with great opposition. All the other apostles. There wasn't a one of them that were on his side about this Gentile thing, you know, and the gospel being for the Gentiles at first. And then God got a hold of Peter and shook him up, and so he, he says, you're right. And all of them finally got on board and said, okay, you're right. And it was him yeah. by himself at first. It's, it, it just... Uh... Okay, let's look in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He wasn't one of the original apostles, yet he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. So it's, it's all finished. It's all provided. It's all done. It's all given. God's not giving any more. He's already given everything. It's at, you, you can access everything that Jesus died to give. We have the capacity to access it because it's already been given to us. It's just like receiving. Receiving. I, I've taught you over and over. Be a good receiver. I don't, know, I don't care that much about your doing. You're being a good doer. I want you to be a good receiver. If you'll be a good receiver, all this doing stuff is going to take on a different hue in your life. Okay? So receive that you've been blessed. Now, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Oh, my gosh. Think about that. This is something he saw up there, I think. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before him. Okay, the word translated foundation there, this is how I do stuff. The word translated found, foundation there is katabalo, K-A-T-A-B-A-L-O, katabalo. It means to fall away or put in, lo in a lower place. To fall away or to be put in a lower place. The word translated foundation in, in other places is themelios, which means what you think it means. Like in chapter 2, I think it said, well, chapter 4, uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means exactly what you think it means, themelios. It means the foundation. Katabalo means the falling away or put in a lower place. So I, I, this is not my, my quote 
I don't, I don't know who made it, but that God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. <laughs> He's talking about the fall before the fall of the world. Now, doesn't that make a little more, uh, what, a little more understandable than for the foundation of the world? God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. No time and space to him, see what I mean? He, he can do this. We can't, but he can. We were found in him. And then he says that we should be, before the fall of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before him. Does that mean that you're holy and blameless? Does it or not? Yeah. yeah. Well, how holy? Holy as holy gets. How blameless? You're as blameless as blameless gets. No blame at all. Holy means set apart, really. Distinct, different. Doesn't mean not sinning ever, necessarily. Holy and blameless before him. Before him, I wondered about that, those words one day. Before him, what does that mean? Before him. The word is katanopian. Katanopian. That means the closest possible proximity to. Holy and blameless before him. The closest possible proximity to. Here's the picture it's you, holy and blameless, face to face with God. Closest possible proximity. It's, <laughs> it's looking in God's face and you're holy and blameless. He knows it and you know it. He made you like that. He did that. Face to face. Isn't that an incredible thought? Yeah. I, I told you Paul saw a lot of good stuff. And whew, Let's look in verse 17 through 19. I'm just skipping around here. Uh, that, the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of Christ. God, Jesus. That's what the whole subject is of our whole eternal existence is, is Him. So, let your studies lead you to more understanding of Him and what He's done and who He is and what He said and all that, all, all that kind of stuff. Holy and blameless in the revelation of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Spirit of wisdom, revelation. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. At his right hand in heavenly places. 
For above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head, as head over all things to the church, his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the ecclesia, ek meaning out of, Ek out of. Kaleo. From the, from the word kaleo. It means name. The church. Bears his name. Our, our surname. Is connected to his name. That's what that means. The ecclesia, the named ones, the named ones. We all have something in common. We're all the named ones. You know, the church was first called Christians. The, the believers were called Christians first at Antioch. And it was a derisive term. It wasn't given to them by other believers. It means little Christ, all those little, little Christ, you know, just derogatory, little Christ, little Jesus is little Christ, little, they think they are little, you know, Christ, Jesus is. Well, I kind of think like that. I'm not Jesus, but I'm like him. As he is, so also are we in this world. The church. We're, we're all about Jesus. And that should be very uh, uplifting to you. It ought to always encourage you. It ought to always lift you up. Your, your interpretation of anything ought to bring joy to you. It, it ought to get you excited about the future. Uh, it, it, ought to, it ought to just remove all sorts of religious bondage and fear in your heart and life. If you want to know what God is like, hang around Jesus, uh, you know, look at him. That's, that's the standard bearer for uh, understanding what the Father's like. He's the exact image of the Father, Hebrews says. Let me just, just give you a little glimpse of what God might be like if you're, you know, looking at Jesus. Uh, who was it that Jesus, what group of people did Jesus have a beef with when he was here? The religious, religious people, religious leaders. He, they're the only group that he had a beef with. He didn't have a beef with anybody else, even the Romans. You don't see him talking real negatively about the Romans or the Roman government. Yeah, come on up. <laughs> uh, he didn't have a beef with them, didn't seem like. He did the religious leaders. But who did he spend most time with? Well, most time he spent with his disciples, uh, many of which were women, by the way. Um, his disciples... But beyond the disciples, and he encouraged his disciples to do the same thing, he hung out with people like us. <laughs> all, all of us. The, the rest of us. The, 
you know, the lady that was taken in adultery, he seemed to really love her. And she followed him the rest of her life. He sure liked Mary Magdalene. He liked Lazarus a lot. Lazarus was his friend. And Mary, Martha. Just people. Hung out with tax collectors and sinners and people like me. He still does. He still does. That's how just reading this kind of stuff makes me feel. And you want to throw some scriptures to me that seem to contradict this, go ahead. There's a credible explanation for every one of them. But to tell you the truth about it, I don't spend a whole lot of time on that anymore. If it doesn't go with the flow of what I just told you, either it's wrong or I'm wrong, and I'm not wrong. (laughs) I mean, in the broadest sense, not specific sense. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I haven't puzzled through yet. And I I, I get tired of even doing that because I I, want to spend my time thinking about this stuff. So that's what I do. Know how much he loves you. You stand face to face, holy and blameless before him in the closest possible proximity. Stand up. Let me pray for you. That could have been the most unorganized message I've ever had in my life. So next time you're in here and we next Sunday here worshiping together and singing songs and making melody in our heart. It's that atmosphere where the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit is released. So it's important for us to do it together sometime. That we all join our voices in one accord. to the goodness of God and the greatness of God. Lord, thank you that you're, you're, you're the kind of God that we love to worship. We can't worship any other kind. It's not in our heart to do that. But it sure is in our heart to worship you, to make you the center of our thoughts and our lives and our hearts and decisions and activities, actions. Thank you for the abundant life, Lord, that you died to give us. That it's sprouting up everywhere. That it, even in my own heart, life is still sprouting and bring, coming forth and bringing me joy. Lord, I love thinking about you. I pray 
for those in the room today who are in that in spite of situation, in spite of circumstances, I pray for them. I pray they'll hang on. That they'll let you encourage them, minister to them, let you show them a little bit more long-term than, than's here. And that they can they can be above and not beneath circumstances. And I pray you will heal them and bless them and touch them. While they're going through a hard time, Lord, I pray that they'll have a that you'll direct people and things their way that encourage them and help them. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness. Just thank you. I sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.